0: Kiora and a very warm welcome to the Kakapo Files. I'm Alison Balance, and this is Episode 11 of this RNZ podcast, Kakapo Rangers. We are following the biggest breeding season on record for New Zealand's rare, flightless night parrot, the kakapo. Since this podcast kicked off in mid-December we've been covering all sorts of things kākāpō and we've still got things to discover. Later in this episode I'll be catching up with Andrew Digby for all the latest news and numbers. But first, some of you have asked about the enormous logistics involved in managing this breeding season. Well there are lots! So, one morning while I was down on Fenua Ho recording for the podcast I whipped around the hut to find some of the island rangers to ask what their day was looking like.
2: Yeah, I'm Barney, so I'm one of the temp rangers. I've been on the team for a couple of weeks and still learning stuff.
0: So how are you finding it out here on Codfish? It's pretty busy.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty intense and a steep learning curve. At the moment lots of carrying stuff around like um, setting up tents and uh, finding nests and a few late nights monitoring nests from the train station back at base. So what's your chores
0: for today? Do you know yet?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm going out to set up a tent for future night work. Yeah, that's my jobs for today.
0: So it's just creating a nice, comfortable place so that when people are out there at night, they've got somewhere to stay out of the rain, somewhere to sleep.
2: Yep, yeah, that's the that's the idea, yeah.
0: So it's basically a gear-carrying day, by the sound of it. Yep,
2: yeah, and then I'll come back and carry on looking at feed-out, make sure everyone's getting fed the right amounts and getting regular weights and stuff, as I'm in charge of that at the moment, so.
0: So you've got the volunteers who are actually doing the legwork on the hill for that one, who actually take the carry the food around, and you, you're just making sure that everything's going swimmingly.
2: Yep, that's right, and working out if they're getting the right amount of food, so we're not putting out too much or not enough. If the birds are getting hungry, make sure they're at good weights. So to keep them healthy. Yeah.
0: So is there a, a perfect weight for a kākāpō to be at?
2: We're doing a range for the females between 1.6 and 1.7 or 8. Yeah, so that makes sure we're getting the right ratio of males to female um, chicks. And with the males at the moment, because they're spending a lot of time booming, we're trying to just keep them as big as possible without being too big so that the harness still fits. Thanks,
0: Brownie. Good morning, Freya. Morena! Good morning, I need to meet some more of the island rangers, so can you introduce yourself?
3: (laughs) I sure can. My name's Freya, and I'm a Cockapaw Ranger. I've been working for the team for the last two and a half years and living on this island is
0: bliss. (laughs) So for the last two and a half years you've been building up to this breeding season?
3: Yeah, pretty much. 2016 was a big one, but this one's even bigger, so it's been nice to have a bit of time to prep and get ourselves mentally and physically prepared for the task.
0: (laughs) So what are some of the jobs you've got on today?
3: Well, today I am actually is what we call camp mum so I'm arranging all the flights that get to the island or the food and it everything that basically needs to be here for us to function so at the moment I've just found out I've ordered 168 kgs of food to supply and basically help everyone get through the amount of work we've got to
0: do. (laughs) So when's that food arriving?
3: Today so we're going to have to get our arms in and get carrying up the beach so that'll be fun.
0: Now tell me how people and food arrive on this island.
3: So today we have food and people arriving on a fixed wing plane it carries about four people But um, in the next week, we might get a helicopter out as well if the weather doesn't get so good. And we'll get people and food and gas out like that as well.
0: So the plane lands on the beach.
3: The plane lands on a lovely runway.
0: (laughs) What preparation do you have to do for that?
3: Well, Maggie this morning has actually gone out and drawn a runway for us. So this is where we zigzag up and down the beach, making sure we draw a line between the hard and soft sand. Um, And at the point of the hard sand, basically, is where the plane can land. We also report in all the weather conditions, and today is stunning. No wind, beautiful blue skies, there are no white caps, so it's less than 20 knots of wind. It's fantastic.
0: So it's a good day at uh, Fenuahu International Airport. exactly so you've done the shopping you've organised the transport what else are you going to do today?
3: well I've now got to prepare the flights for the next two weeks because we've got flights coming on pretty much every two days at the moment so uh, lots of people arriving on the island lots of people going off the island so I've got to prepare for that and then hopefully get ready tonight to go up to CNST hopefully You were at a nest last night? I was at a nest last night. I was at Poonamu's nest. She's mated with Gulliver, which is very exciting. He's a Fiordland bird. Uh, But she decided to stay on the nest all night, so I'm going to hopefully go back tonight and have a bit more luck.
0: So the purpose of your visit last night was to do what?
3: So we don't know what she's got in her nest yet so we're hoping to see what's in there. I'm hoping at least two eggs at the moment. She's been incubating for about seven days and then we're going to candle those eggs and see whether they're fertile or not and then if they are fertile which we really really hope they will be we'll bring them back to the hut and get them incubating in some of those incubators and get them all ready to roll before they hatch.
0: So when you go up at night to check on a nest Talk me through what happens. What's the process?
3: So when we usually get there, we have well, we have quite a setup at a nest. Um, we have a nest snark which tells us whether the female is present or absent on a nest. Um, and we go to the tent site and we set up a camera so that we can see her and see whether she is on the nest. We then go to sleep, hoping that we get a good night's rest. So you got a tent there as we well. We got a tent there. <laughs> it's a very flash tent site at Panama's as well, so it's very lovely. And then we wait and hope that the female will leave the nest. Then we have, back at the hut, a nest controller, who is basically getting all this information back from the nest that tell us whether the female is present or absent. The nest controller then calls up us and tells us whether she's left the nest. And when she leaves the nest, we scuttle on down to the nest and we're able to get in there, see, see those eggs and candle them and then put them back and hopefully get back to our tent site before the female even returns. And so she never knows we're there.
0: So your days are quite, and your nights are quite varied. <laughs> quite varied, yeah. You could definitely say that. It definitely keeps the job interesting. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Nice no to meet you, Fred. I'm going to pop across the other side of the office now. I've got one more person to catch up with. <laughs> say hi to my people. <laughs>
1: can I get you to to
0: introduce yourself?
1: Oh, kia ora um, Alison, my name's Margie Grant, so I'm one of the um, rangers that has been brought on because of the advent of this anticipated huge breeding season, I was brought on in July with two other rangers, and I've got a year-long to a a year-and-a-half-long contract. So I've joined the team and been immersed in the madness of the culture here and the busyness, and uh, finding my way through everything, which is hilarious, uh, exhausting and fun.
0: (laughs) So what are some of the jobs that you're responsible for?
1: Well, everything. The good thing about the here, working as a ranger is an enormous variety and the skills that you pick up so today um, at the moment I'm just entering data that um, I've been out for the last few days doing things like listening to the outputs on the birds transmitters which tells us a lot about their state of activities which lets us know things like if they're nesting or they're not nesting and what they what state they might be in so I've been entering those and other, um, other data because data informs pretty much most of the, all the primary decisions we make here. We're I here. see a
0: lot of people sitting at a lot of computers a lot of the time
1: <laughs> yes, we <we're, laughs> it's like we've got some good people here who go around reminding us that we need to be entering data. <laughs>
0: so you've got some data entries to do what yeah. else are you gonna to do today?
1: Oh Let's I said I've been out getting walking the beach, refueling the generator because that runs a lot of the time at the moment because we have um, because we've got incubators going, we run the generator a lot to keep up with the power demands and the power demands of so many people here taking stuff out for the plane. I'm the gear master at the moment, so there's a lot of gear going up the hill when we we're finding nests, that means that we have to put a lot of technology out to um, for to support what we're observing at the nest and managing the eggs there and the birds. And also, um, as Freya said, there's some rather nice camps set up so that we can do that comfortably overnight and not have to sit out in the wet if it's raining to do that. So um, I help manage all that gear and also the repairs on it and deciding where it goes and how we move it around because uh, we don't have unlimited gear. So there's a nice little jiggle juggle going on between priorities at times. So those will be my main things today. Day. like Freya and the other rangers I'm out in the field a lot day and night but um, today so far I'm hiding away in here hoping to get a chance to do the data entry and do the gear organize the gear stuff before I get grabbed for something outside so yeah so yeah and talking to you
0: it's all part of the job
1: yeah I'll let you get back to data entry yeah fantastic
0: to talk to you thanks thanks Maggie and a big thanks too to Freya and Bryony Now we heard mention of the nest controller job and the train station. That's one of the night shift jobs. While most people are up at the nests, one ranger stays back at base to be the coordinator looking after a very vital piece of software, the train station. It collects all the information from the smart transmitters that the birds are wearing and the sensors at each nest.
4: Knock, knock.
0: I've come in to find out what you're doing.
4: I'm hunting for
0: cables. You're hunting for cables, but that's not your real job for the night. Can I get you to introduce yourself? (laughs) I'm Anton. So what's your role here?
4: Mainly working with the database that um, they have in place. There's been a team in Wellington building a new database for the Kākāpō team, and um, I'm tasked with helping them familiarise themselves with the database and get it working well for them, yeah.
0: And you're doing another job tonight as well on the side?
4: Yes, I'm the nest controller for the night, which means I basically pay attention to all the signals coming into the hut and watch for any activity at the nests and then contact people who are near the nests, potentially stealing eggs or checking up on those eggs.
0: So I think Deirdre and Andrew are both up the hill
4: tonight? Yep, so Andrew's doing a solo mission up the hill. Um, Unfortunately we can't get the signals from the nest he's at, so he's all alone um, and Deirdre is with two others, and we we do have uh, the signals for her nest. So Whose nest is she at? She's at Bella's nest. Yep. So I think the intention might be to take the last egg from, from Bella.
0: So this job that you have is, is made possible because everything up in the hill is automated, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's hard to get everything connected um, on the island, uh, but um, when it does work, it works pretty well. Yeah.
0: So what happens if a female kākāpō, she's sitting on her nest, she decides to get off?
4: We get notified that she's left her nest, and uh, if she's off for too long, we, we can take action if required.
0: So is this a job that keeps you up all night?
4: No, not really. So the system alerts us with a loud sort of alarm when bad things happen, so we can usually get some sleep.
0: So females who are sitting on eggs up the hill still, you'll get notified, there we go. Right on cue, the doorbell rings, so what does that mean?
4: That just means something's happened at one of the nests, so if we have a look. So a ding-dong has gone at Bella's nest, and so that's the nest that Deidre is at. So potentially the sensor will soon tell us that Bella has left her nest.
0: Well, they were hoping that Bella might leave by about 10 o'clock, so she's uh, spot on, 7 minutes to 10. But if
4: she's gone off, she'll have gone off, what, to feed? Yep, to feed, and then she'll want to come back eventually so she might go off for you know half an hour or something that's that green means she's there and those blue dots show her activity levels so they're pretty low generally speaking but see her activity levels just popped up there and the ding-dong has gone off so that sort of suggests she's, there's activity DD from base over hi D, uh, the ding-dong at uh, Bella's Nest went off a couple of minutes ago she hasn't left her nest officially, but it might happen in a couple of minutes. And I'll let you know if the situation changes. There go. So. And it just keeps going until you stop it. <laughs> yep, Bella has officially left the nest. Over.
0: So Bella went off tonight, but Deirdre was up there last night and she didn't leave the
4: nest. That's right. So Deirdre stayed in a bivy bag all night.
0: Just in case?
4: Yeah. So sometimes it doesn't work out so well.
0: So Bella's eggs are infertile, is that right? Or are they fertile and they're being brought down here to incubate?
4: Yep, so Bella's fertile.
0: Yep. Okay, so that'll be coming down here and going into the incubator room. Yep. Mm. So Deirdre will be walking down the hill very carefully.
4: Yes, hopefully.
0: Thanks Anton. Now. It's time for the news. Kākāpō news, that is. In this episode 11, Kākāpō Rangers of the Kākāpō Files, it's Friday the 1st of March, and I've managed to get a few minutes with Kakapoor scientist Andrew Digby, who has just flown off Whenua Ho for a short and very well-deserved rest. Kia ora, Andrew, and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files. How's the breeding season getting on? How many eggs do we have so far?
5: So far, the current count is 217 eggs and that's roughly split, roughly half and half across each island, Fenoraho and Anchor.
0: Gosh, and of those, how many of those are fertile?
5: 96 of them are fertile, so that's around about 47% fertility. And one thing that's been kind of interesting is that we've had quite a lot of second clutch eggs and we've seen a bit of higher fertility in the second clutch, which is not quite what we were expecting.
0: Well, that's great news.
5: Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. Yeah, so we've still got quite a few second clutch eggs yet to find and to find out the fertility of but so far the, the second clutch fertility is around about 58%.
0: So there's definitely more to come? Definitely, yep. So does that mean the females are still mating?
5: Yeah, so they seem to have stopped on anchor. It was a bit weird. We had a bit of a, like a week's break on anchor, then a few kicked off again, and we had the same on Fenua and We haven't had any for the last two nights, but before that we had, I think, about six matings over three nights. So so far we've had 26 females remate on both islands, 14 on Fenua and 12 on anchor.
0: Well, that's a really good vindication of the risk you took in taking those first eggs away from females and, and hoping they would renest.
5: Yeah, it was a gamble, and there times when we were sort of holding our breath a little bit, waiting to see if anything would happen, but yeah, it definitely does seem to have paid off.
0: So it seems to me one of the hallmarks of this breeding season is that not only did it start very early, but it's a very long, drawn-out breeding season.
5: It is, it really is. So we've had matings, these recent matings on Whanauhou, were more than two months after the first mating We've got, I think, our oldest chick at the moment is is just coming up for 30 days old and we've still got eggs to find and probably still eggs to be laid. So there's going to be a huge gap, you know, probably more than two months between those chick ages.
0: Well, that brings us nicely to chicks. So how many chicks have hatched so far?
5: We've got 44 live chicks so far. We've had 46 hatched and we've lost two.
0: Oh, that's sad. But actually, if you've only lost two so far, that's pretty good going.
5: It is, it is. It's still very early days. Some of those chicks are still very young. Last breeding season we lost 14 chicks, so we hatched 47 and lost 14. So far we've hatched 46 and lost two, but yeah, there's still a long, long way to go.
0: Wow, so in terms of chicks, you're definitely going to overtake that last good breeding season in 2016.
5: We hope so, yeah, (laughs) we hope so.
0: (laughs) Fingers crossed. Have you had some chicks that have died at hatching though?
5: We've had a couple so far die at hatching, yes. Yeah, and um, the causes are not quite clear as to why that happened. Something went wrong in the last sort of week of the incubation process and, and the eggs haven't developed as completely as they should do. Um, but yeah, we're still looking into that.
0: So where are all those chicks now?
5: Bit of a mix. So some of the smaller chicks are in Dunedin. Uh, we actually had nine chicks come back down to Invercargill, yesterday. So we're getting the bigger chicks. The bigger chicks are being hand-reared in Invercargill, the smaller ones in Dunedin. And then, of course, we have chicks on the islands too. So we have chicks in nests, and we do have some chicks in the hand-rearing facilities on both Anchor and Whanawaho.
0: So you really don't have all your chicks in one basket?
5: No, we don't. No, they're spread all over the place. We're trying to keep as many in nests as as possible. That is our default position. Because we second-clutched so many birds this year, we ended up with a lot of birds to hand-rear. So... That will be, I think, nearly up to 40 birds that will hand rear. That's a result of that double clutching. But for these second clutches, we, we try to keep at least one chick per nest. And on anchor, where it looks like the Rimu fruit is ripening, we, we're hoping to be able to have most nests with the uh, two chicks in.
0: Does the Rimu fruit look like it's ripening on whenua ho?
5: Not yet. No, we've only found a few ripe fruit, and it doesn't look like it. It is at the moment, and I'm getting a little bit nervous that it won't, but it, yeah, still got a little way to go.
0: Ah, watch the space. Now, chicks and nests, tell me about that.
5: That's interesting. It's, it's great. It's what we want to try and do. We want to have chicks raised by their mothers. So we're either hatching the chicks in the nests in some cases, or we're just putting the chicks back into the nest once they've hatched in the incubators, once they're about one or just two days old.
0: Tell me how that happens.
5: So we'll hatch them and we'll, we'll give them a, a feed, normally for a day, and then depending on the mother, we normally put the chick into the nest at night time when the mother's off. So we'll take the chick up, and um, normally in the evening, sometime around about nine o'clock, we take the chick in a little polystyrene box with a heat heating element in it to keep it warm. We'll sit there in the tent next to the nest to wait till the mother gets off. If the mother's a little while, we'll normally give the chick a feed in the nest, so give a little bit of a top up and go down to the nest to wait till the mother goes off and what we normally do is wait until the mother is on her way back or close to coming back and then we put the chicken in the nest so that it's sort of on its own for as little time as possible. And then we go back to the tent and we watch with bated breath on the little monitor screen from the camera just to see what she does with it.
0: I know you've done this a few times. Tell me what happened at Alice's nest.
5: So Alice, I, I gave it her Pearl 2B about four nights ago and it actually went quite well. She came in, saw the chick, just tumbled it around a little bit, but not too much, and then sat down on it straight away and started feeding it within an hour and was feeding it really well. Alice is an experienced mother. She's she's seen this before with chicks. You know, she's had chicks before. So, and um, yeah, I guess it was fairly routine. She she went away. When she left, she had two dummy eggs. So I, I took out the two dummy eggs and, and replaced them with a little chick. I did also try to introduce a chick to... Alice um during the day, we do that sometimes if we can with mothers who are very accepting, but she she was a little bit unhappy about that and growled at me a few times and lunged at me, so I decided to wait until she'd got off that night.
0: It's remarkable that a female can leave home and she's got two eggs and she comes back and there's a chick, and she's just so hardwired it's just she instantly switches into now I'm going to look after this chick mode
5: exactly, and it's not her chick either a lot of the time too and I, I don't know, I feel that they probably must know that it's not their chick. They've got such an amazing sense of smell, I would have thought they'll, they'll definitely have cues, they'll know that you know it's been handled by humans, it's been in a strange environment, but they accept it instantly. So it's really lucky for us that they are so accepting for this cross-fostering. If not, it would make things much more difficult.
0: So the chick that you fostered to Alice Pearl to be that is from Pearl's second clutch. Pearl, of course, being the first female to mate this
5: season. That's right. Yeah, so it's the only um, fertile egg that Pearl had. She's had a bit of a hard time, had two nests that were both shut down or both failed. Um, one because of petrol incursion and one because a young juvenile got into her nest. Uh, but yes, yeah, so she's got that chick and that chick looking really good last time, I saw it.
0: Fantastic. Now, I think you did the same thing with Queenie. Of course, I'm very attached to Queenie since she's named after my mum. She's 10 years old. She actually hasn't bred before. So you still gave her a chick?
5: Yeah, we did. And so, I mean, at some point, a female kakawo is going to see a chick for the first time. Normally they'll probably be there and see it hatch. In this case, she didn't see it hatch. She left her nest with an egg in it, came back, and there was this little ball of fluff in there, this little chick. And, yeah, it was a little bit of a heart in my mouth moment when I watched her sort of tumble it around quite a lot, dragged it around upside down in the nest quite a bit trying to get it underneath her she was trying to do the right thing just a bit clumsy about it and then when she started feeding it was quite a long while later she was quite you know just not used to the feeding but she was doing a good job and now that chick is actually doing really quite well so that was it was really cool to see and uh, you know all of our team are doing this at the moment we're introducing chicks to mothers and just waiting and watching to see how they accept them
0: are you giving just one chick per mother
5: and um, we are on Fenwerho on anchor some of the nests have got two chicks in it's basically down to food supply and the Rimu fruit looks like it's ripening on anchor, it looks like there will be quite a lot of food so they're able to cope with more chicks there.
0: So this fostering and giving out these chicks, you're gonna keep doing that as the chicks hatch?
5: Yes, that's right. Yep. So we try and every mother we don't want her to wait too long for an egg. So, you know, we wait for that twenty eight day incubation period. Give her a chick close to that as as close as we can and, and as close to us, you know, a small chick as possible. We do we don't wanna give her a big chick straight away. And we also always keep a couple of chicks normally spare in the hand-rearing facilities on both islands to swap if necessary. So if a chick's not doing very well in a nest, sometimes we'll swap it out, boost it a little bit with hand-rearing and put it back in again. Or sometimes we'll swap them between mothers, so a mother might not be quite as good a feeder as another one. So if a chick's doing poorly in one nest, we might actually give that to another mum who's a really good feeder and then swap the chicks around like that.
0: And what's your measure of whether a chick's doing well?
5: we just look at its weight so for the first four days or three days we normally weigh them every night and then we plot that weight on a graph against the what we'd expect the average to be for a chick of that age so we see how it's doing compared to average we normally say we have a a, a pull weight so if the chick is doing really badly if it's lower than 35% below the mean weight that it should be and we will start to think about pulling that chick out of the nest and putting it in hand rearing but there's There's quite a lot of other factors as well in play, there's like we have a look at the respiration of the chick and its general health and if there's any other issues with it then we might take it in for hand rearing if there's any illness.
0: Now last week on the Kakapo Files, the flying Kākāpō sperm episode, we talked about artificial insemination and your very innovative drone project. How's the artificial insemination assisted breeding project going?
5: Yeah, we're, we're winding down with that. So our, our experts, our friends from Germany, have now flown home. And so we might do one or two more artificial inseminations, but it's getting difficult now with a smaller team and with chicks in nests. But it went well. We, we did lots of inseminations. I think we did just over 15 and with 11 different females. Uh, we don't know the results of those yet. We know that some of those females that we inseminated have had fertile eggs in their second clutches. So that's exciting. So we know that there's potential there for success. What we don't know yet is who the father was. So we have to wait for genetic testing to actually find out whether that artificial insemination was successful or not.
0: Does it look like the artificial insemination may at least have helped improve the fertility rates?
5: Well, just on the face of it, you know, I mentioned earlier about the high fertility in the second clutch, and we are seeing that, but yeah, it's a little bit unclear. We, we also see high fertility in the second clutch on Anchor where we didn't do anything. Hodisexual uh, insemination, so yeah, it's too early to say whether it's improved fertility yet.
0: Maybe just that they got better at, with practice.
5: Maybe, maybe, yeah, and it might just be a, a, some of the individuals as well who remated tend to have higher fertility.
0: Thanks, Andrew. That was Andrew Digby from the Kakapoor Recovery Team at the Department of Conservation, and this has been Episode Eleven of the Kākāpō Files from RNZ Kakapoor Rangers. Kakapoor Files is, of course, a podcast. You can find it at all your favorite podcast places. You can also find it online at rnz.co.nz slash Thanks for your company. Until next time, I'm Alison Balance. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.